If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. I want to start this week's episode by saying thank you for making my podcast part of your routine. There are thousands of podcasts out there that you could listen to. So the fact that you choose the one that has me as your coach and mentor is an honor for me. So as an invitation today, I wanted to uh, extend the possibility for you to jump on a call with somebody on my team at rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call. Because if you like my philosophies and you're ready to join a group of people who are growing and taking action toward financial freedom and fulfillment, then it means that you don't have to do it alone. And it's such a drag doing it alone. It's so much harder doing it alone. It's like swimming upstream. So will you take the next step? Can I entice you to say yes and figure it out later by jumping on a call and finding out what's missing and what is a better strategy and tactic? So go ahead rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call, and let's help you fast track towards success. Everybody wants to grow and build their businesses. So when you get the chance to interview somebody like my guest today, a business owner and a coach focused on helping business owners crush chaos and undercover the income that can happen when they create a better path, that maybe they knew was always possible, then it's worth listening to. My guest today, Paul Maskell, is an expert at systematizing businesses so that the owner, and probably that would be you or you to be, can put in an all-star team so that they can run the business better than they can. And I can tell you, I can relate. I have many businesses, and when I find the right person, they do a much better job than I do. I happen to be a visionary, and you can't do all the parts. Initially, when you start a small business, you wear several hats, but it's really great to be able to leverage their business and build a life that they love. I always ask my guests for some of their favorite I am statements. So Paul says he's a leader, he is a father, a husband, successful, a visionary, and a motivator. And we always encourage him to say, I am, I am, I am, and that's what he did. And one of the things that he, you know, attributes to the fact that is really helped him grow his business is that the worst case scenario is never as bad as you think. And therefore you can always get through it. Paul, what is going on? Rock doing well, excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. We were talking before that you got some young kids at home and that you're uh, getting the germs coming home and that changes the ecosystem in the family environment, some things coming in. And it's kind of a great metaphor for life. If you think about it, sometimes you get the opponents coming into your world, competition, and you're not ready for it. We'll talk a little bit later about how to adjust to that. But before we do that, let's talk about where you grew up and how that's affected who you are today. Yeah, so I grew up in Michigan, very blue collar. So I was growing up there in the 80s when everybody worked basically in blue collar jobs in the auto industry. My family was not in the auto industry, but uh, everybody growing up told me, you don't wanna be like me. You wanna go to college, you wanna get a good job, you wanna climb the corporate ladder get that corner office, wear the suit, do the briefcase, do that whole thing. So that's basically what I did. My dad did manual labor his entire life. So he did, he installed hardwood floors and he said, don't be like me. Don't own your own business. This is crazy. Uh, you know, there's better things out there. So 
And my mom, she eventually got her college degree when she was in her 40s, but she worked her way up and she worked at the grocery store and then she was a teller at a bank and worked her way up in the financial industry. So I kind of took a liking to that. I always love numbers. I love money. Uh, so I set out to conquer the finance world. So got a finance degree, moved to Chicago, got a job at a big shiny bank. And uh, that's what I was going to do for the next 40 years until I realized that's not what I wanted to do for the next 40 years. So, so that's really great. I love that. Everybody told you, don't be like me, be something else. And I talk a lot about the programming we receive when we're growing up ultimately is who you are. If you grew up in China, you'd probably eat more rice than you do today. It's just your environment, right? Everything I believe that you and I say, we heard somewhere else in some shape, form, in a book or on a podcast or on a radio show, TV, our parents said it. And I mean, just think about when somebody says, hi, how are you? you say something you heard somebody else say. You don't go abracadabra when somebody says that because that's not a normal thing. So we're really regurgitating what people have programmed us for. So you went in a different direction and you did exactly the opposite of what other people said wasn't good. And then you found out that you didn't like it. Why, what happened? Yeah, so I kind of look at it as a blessing in disguise. You know, I think everything, like you said, we go through in life, it kind of changes who we are. And then it's, what do we make of that? And is that going to be for the positive or for the negative? So I started in the finance world in 2007. So everything was going well. The market was at the top. Come to find out, in retrospect, I was literally the last person they hired. Because after that, 2008 came, all these people that had been working for these banks for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and their whole life was propped up on this one job. They had the mortgage. They had the kids. They had the college tuition. They had the you know, car payments. They had the beach house. They had all these things propped up by this one single thing that they really couldn't control because you can only do so much in your job. And then when it comes time to lay people off, they literally just look at, well, who's making the most? Who can do more with less? So luckily for me, at least at that time, I was making the least out of everybody. But I saw all these people who poured their life into a company that they didn't really love, a job that they didn't really love. Watching it from afar, you watch all these people pile into these trains and into these subways and go into the city, their heads down, they're moping, it's dark, it's gray. And they go to work, do something they don't really love for 10 hours, and then they do it and go back home. And try. it was just like, this doesn't really make sense. And when I saw all those people lose their job, it just didn't seem like having a job was as safe as everyone says it's going to be. And I realized that everyone always told us a job was the most secure thing ever. You get the 401k, you get the benefits, you get the health insurance, all these things. But it's basically like having a business and you only have one single client. And if that client fires you, you're out of business. So to me, it didn't make sense to do something that wasn't really safe. And I didn't love it anyway. I liked the finance part, but that was it. I liked I didn't like having to do the same thing over and over and over, just be one little cog in a big machine. So I realized that the worst case scenario, if I quit my job, I go start my own business and it doesn't work out. Everyone was saying I was crazy. And what are you doing? That's not safe to love. But to me, the worst case scenario was it doesn't work out, but at least I tried it. And then I can go back and get another job. So that's kind of what made it switch for me is I know I can always go sit in another cubicle. I know I can always go make 30 to 40 grand a year and pay the bills if I had to like, I could go to Starbucks and make, you know, 600 bucks a week and get health insurance if I really needed it and I'd figure it out. So that was kind of one the, of the tipping things point. that you, one of the things that you go by is that the worst case scenario is never as bad as you think. For sure. And it never is. Our worst fears never come true because we're always wired to think that way when really 
what is the upside and what's the downside and how does it outweigh? To me, there, there really was no downside. And the upside was I can do things that I never thought were possible because growing up, nobody told me these things were possible. They just said, go do this. So basically, it seems like you went from one and your father said, don't do this. Everybody's saying, don't do that. You went and did it. You had no fear around jumping into being an entrepreneur. And I want to hear about that. But before I, I do, I want to hear, what are you going to start telling your children? Yeah, that's a good question. So my view is totally different. And I don't really love the, the environment that we put everybody in. It's like, if you don't pass this standardized test, you're determined to be dumb. And if you don't go to school, you're determined to be dumb. When I see plenty of people that are plumbers making a lot more money and building businesses that are way more successful and empowering employees and doing all these things compared to the person that has a PhD in like the history of basket weaving and they've got hundreds of thousands <laughs> of dollars of debt and nothing tangible to serve this world. Like, so I really want to, I want them to figure out what they want to do and support it as long as it's obviously something that is legal and it's something that they can make a career out of. But I don't love that the environment just puts everybody into this box and into this one path. And if you don't follow that path, society says you're dumb. I mean, now well, they're they doing do, standardized they do testing, it. like yeah. second grade. Like if you don't pass the second grade test, your kid's on some sort of other plan because they couldn't pass, the, they basically couldn't memorize stuff that they could look up in Google. Well, let's face it. They do it because it works to their benefit. The school system works. They get jobs for the teachers. They collect taxes, et cetera. But the world is changing so quickly today that even if you get a degree, they say that 63% of people that graduate from college don't use their degree for a job because the information is outdated. So the guy who's got that PhD in a history of basket weaving is driving a UPS truck because he can't find a job in that what he was taught to do unless it's a trade like a plumber or maybe if he's a doctor, a lawyer, dentist, etc. So I'm with you 100% on information is available everywhere. I think the soft skills is what we need to teach people. And I think that's what you do today, how to scale businesses, how to help people grow, how to be leaders, how to be influencers, how to get themselves up and at it and act in spite of fear. So let's talk a little bit about how you help people do that. Yeah, so it really comes back to kind of my story and who I am. When I quit my job and started my own business, I was like, I'll do this. I don't need to make a lot of money. I just want to be happy doing what I'm doing. At first, like most people who start a business, they have these grand plans, big ideas. Everyone's going to say yes. And nobody said yes. And it was like, wait, should I go back and get a job? Like, was this a bad move? Did ever, is everyone right? And I wanted to prove them wrong. So I kept going, obviously, eventually started to have success. And then I realized I have created another job for myself because if I stopped working and I was already working probably 60 to 80 hours a week, which I was okay with. I didn't have kids. I didn't have anything else to do. And I loved what I did. But I realized that if something happened to me, my business would be gone tomorrow. And I didn't want to put my family, my employees, anybody in that situation where I'm propping everything else up for them. And if something happens to me, so I wanted to build a business around that. So eventually I did systems, processes, empowering a team, building a business that could thrive without me. So then I could serve more people, whether it's employees, customers, my family. So really that's what I focus on today is taking someone's gift, whatever you started your business you provide a really good, usually people start a service because it's a little bit easier, a little bit cheaper, and they're really good at it or they love it. Then how do we take that gift and impact more people? Whatever it is, even if you're a plumber, if you're the best plumber, 
it's kind of selfish not to teach anybody else how to do that because you could be creating other opportunities for people, building a better business, which allows you to do more things to achieve your personal goals. So that's really what I like to tie in is what is your personal vision? What do you really want to do in this world? What do you want to do with your family, your friends, your network? And then how can we build a business to help you achieve all those goals? And once we get to that point, it allows them to realize that it's okay to give up control. Back to the beginning when I said the worst case scenario is never as bad as you think it's going to be. That was my trigger to start delegating things. And I realized if it doesn't work, it's just going to come back to me. And that's where it was anyway. So literally there was no risk and I'm going to learn something along the way. Cool. So just so our listeners know what you're, you know, the genre you're in, what was the business you built? So we ran after school golf and tennis programs for elementary kids. So it was, I love sports. I love kids. And we literally were able to make these sports more accessible to kids by bringing it to them. They were kind of historically thought as country club sports and you can't afford it and all that. So we did that. And then our goal was to turn them into lifelong players by transitioning them to the golf course, to the tennis facilities. So it was awesome. And like the people we hired that were delivering these programs were great. The problem was I was doing everything else on the back end, the finances, the operations, the marketing, the sales, the reporting, all that. So I wanted to keep growing. I wanted to keep serving more kids, wanted to keep creating opportunities, but I literally had no more time in the day because I was doing things that other people could do for me or for us or for the organization. So how did you scale it? What did you do? Because this is so good. The typical entrepreneur gets stuck wearing many hats. They're in every department, the sales, the marketing, the administration, the financing, and trying to troubleshoot the problems, customer service, all that. And they usually end up being overwhelmed and reacting to things and not building their business out for a period of time. And they get stuck with the fancy job called I'm an entrepreneur. I get to work whenever I want, which is all the freaking time, right? <laughs> that so is true. And then they, they start losing their health and their relationships get threatened and they become bitter, pissed off, annoyed at life. And they thought the one thing that I wanted, the one thing that I thought was going to make me happy and fulfilled now, I just can't wait to get rid of it. So how did you transition, Paul? Yeah, I mean, that's a hundred percent true. I and mean, we always put ourselves on the back burner. We always sacrifice everything just to keep this machine running because if the machine stops running, we're kind of stuck. So, you know, I really, I, to be honest, I had never read a book in my life. Like I w in college, I went to every class because I hated reading. And then I was like, I need to figure this out. And I know other people have figured it out because I worked for a bank that figured it out. They just plugged me in. And then when I left, they plugged somebody else in. So I knew it could be done. And I knew I, right. if they could do it, I could do it. So for me, the key was first figuring out where do I want to go? What is my vision? Where do I want to take this thing? And then, so before we get into the tactical stuff, in order to know what you need to do today, you need to know where you're going. So I had to figure out where do I actually want to go? So figuring that out on a personal side, but then also a business side, building what does your ideal organization chart look like when this business is rocking and rolling and it's running without you. So built that out, you know, and then reached out to the people that were already out delivering the services and said, hey, this is what I want to build. Who wants to build it with me? And a bunch of people raised their hand. I love the product. Coach Paul, I want to do this. Let's get started. So they were on board. They were also kind of my accountability partner because now I was like, I'm telling these guys, I'm getting an opportunity. I can't let them down. And then we really just, I took a weekend and I still remember it. It was, I took out this big sheet of paper and wrote down every single thing that I do in this business from the biggest task to the little task. And then I took that 
and ask my wife, what else do I do? Because I know there's stuff that I probably do in my sleep that I don't even think of because it's just, you know, it's one of those things you just do every day and you don't even think about it. So then she gave me Did some Did you stuff. ask her the things that you do that piss her off or just the things you do in general? <laughs> Both. And she knows what she knew, what she knew better than me, what things really pissed me off, which then in turn pisses her off because she's like, when you have to deal with that, you're not a nice person to be around. And that makes me Yes. Awesome. So yes. <laughs> then I did the same thing with my employees. Like, what else do I do? So literally just made this huge list, documented everything. You basically created an operations manual of mm -hmm. what it is so that you could plug and play, put different people in the roles and say, if you're sitting in this seat, this is the stuff that you need to handle. And here's how you handle it. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then literally just started documenting it using technology. Like right. we're on Zoom today and you hit record and you do the task. Yeah. And then you deliver it to somebody else. And I realized once they did it and they did it successfully, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Why didn't I do this before? So then it was kind of like a drug and I just kept delegating everything until I had literally nothing left to delegate. <laughs> okay. But there's a piece you're missing out here that I think is crucially important is you need to find the right people. Correct. And that is a skill set in of itself. So how did you go about interviewing, hiring, and empowering training people to carry out these tasks? So I basically did the opposite of what I realized corporate America did. So corporate America really falls in love with what your resume says you can do, your kind of technical skills that you have. Oh, you can do this, this, and this. And I wanted to, I wanted to hire people that I knew I could go and have dinner with, or I could have a beer with, or I could sit down and have conversations. And I, I knew that if they did something quote unquote wrong, I could say, hey, Rock, you know, this is okay, but do you think we could have done it better? And they don't get really mad and offended. So really focused on that personality. Do, do they, can I get along with them? Because then we can build anything. So I kind of brought it back mm -hmm. to even the sports, con, you know, the context of sports of, the best team that wins doesn't necessarily have the best players. They have the best fitting players that get together. Yeah. You know, if anybody follows football, the New England Patriots very rarely have the best players, but they're always good because they can plug in different personalities because they know that's how we build a team. Yeah. And to piggyback on that, because that's my team, uh, one of the things they talk about is do your job, do your job, do your job. Each person first does their job versus trying to overdo somebody else's job. So it's knowing your role and then being open to feedback in the event that it doesn't work. And I think what you're also saying is that there was a sense of culture and family fit so that people were playing for the team and not for their individual awards or their individual income, but let's make the team more important than my particular role. Does that make sense as well? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned do your job. So we always use Slack to communicate and I would have like this gif or meme or whatever of bill belichick and i would just send it to him like just do your job don't worry about anything else if you if everyone does that we all win and i think the other part to tying into that culture is explaining them why are we doing what we're doing right i always got so frustrated in the corporate world if i asked why are we doing it this way they'd be like i don't know because you know manager yeah. joe said we've so. always done it that way yeah <laughs> so when you explain the why it has so much more value yeah. to them and they're so much more willing to give the extra mile because it's like oh this does this and at the end is either the customer or the organization that wins because we're doing it this way, not just because I said so. Yeah, so what I hear you saying is that you give it meaning and a life without meaning is a life that is unfulfilled. So if a person knows this is why we're doing it, this is the impact it's gonna make, then it's much more fulfilling. 
So you built these teams and then you probably went on to see that, that it took some certain skills. And now what you do is you help other people build and scale their organizations. What does that look like? How does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of started just because people kept asking me like, how did you do this? How did you do this? And it's, you know, so really now I work with people that usually they're in a service-based world because that's what they start. And it's hard to get them out of the mindset of I'm the best, only I can do this. And I tell them if that was the case, you'd be making a lot more money because like people that make that statement are like brain surgeons, rocket scientists, like where if something goes wrong, a lot of people die. Like if you don't turn that wrench right, nobody dies. Nobody actually really cares as long as you respond to it properly. So I run real estate. Yeah. I run real estate offices and, and people are like, yeah, I'm the only one they want to deal with. And I go, I used to sell hundred homes a year and then I stopped selling and people still move. They'll be fine. If you don't do this, you can learn <laughs> to scale by just delivering value. So I get you on that one. Go ahead. So yeah, so that's really, you know, kind of what I think the first exercise is getting them over the mental hurdle of it's okay to give up control. And usually what gets them to start taking action is I just plain ask them, are your daily actions getting you closer to where you want to be? And usually the answer is no, because nobody says, I can't wait to start my business and work 24, 7, 365 and be burned out. We all started our business because we wanted that freedom. We wanted that income that wasn't just you know, based on how much time are we putting into this business? So right. once we get over the mental hurdle, then it's just working with them on putting a plan in place. What's the biggest issues that they have? Is it hiring? Is it getting, knowing your financials is huge because a lot of people don't really know where their money's coming from, what's profitable, what's not profitable. So every case is a little bit different, but doing one thing at a time until it's complete. I feel a lot of entrepreneurs, we have the bright shiny object syndrome. So we got like 10 things going and nothing gets done. And then we look back a year from now, it's like, I was really busy, but I didn't, I wasn't productive at all. Like I was, I was driving my car all year, but I didn't go anywhere. So am I still in business? So let's talk a little bit, Paul, about what are some of the biggest things that hold people back from scaling? Yeah, it's a good question, Rock. So I would say one is the mindset. So if we get yeah. over that mindset, it's not, it's not taking the time to build a solid foundation before you do scale. So I find a lot of business owners, they might've tried to scale and then they realized they couldn't handle it. So they just say, ah, oh, there's no good help out there. I can't find anybody. But one, they didn't have a foundation. So if you're going to go build a really big house, you need to have a really nice foundation, which takes a lot of time. It All right, I'm going gonna, gonna to chip in here a lot because you're, you're giving such value. I don't want people to pass over it. All so right, number go one for is it. the mindset. Number one is the mindset. Number two is they get started. They haven't built a really good foundation. So why do people start without creating a foundation? So I find it's usually because we kind of have a scarcity mindset. We have to say yes to everything because like I just got to get customers. I got to get money in the door. I got to say yes. I got to say yes which is sustainable until it's not. And then you, it's like, I need to get rid of some of these things, but it's, it's like feeding the machine. And now I don't have time to build a foundation. So what am I gonna do? So I learned the hard way. So now if I go into a business, it's like, let's, let's not go get any more customers. Let's build a foundation, keep all your current customers happy, serve the heck out of them, but take six months or however long it takes to build this really solid foundation. So then you can scale to heights that you probably didn't think were possible six months ago. So that would probably be the second part of that. So you said at the beginning is you got to get really clear in your vision. 
So if people are saying yes to everything, is it not true that they're not clear on the perfect customer and they're kind of saying yes to customers that are not and therefore they now are spreading themselves wide as well? For sure, yeah. And I think that goes back to the scarcity mindset of I can serve anybody. Like they just say yes, I, like, I can everybody. do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know I shouldn't do that, but I can do it. So I'm gonna say yes to it and I'll figure it out. That's yeah. kind of the entrepreneur mindset and there's pros to it, but then obviously these are the cons to it. And then we feel if we niche down, there's not enough people I can serve. Like, how, how is that possible? But there is, the more you niche down, the, you know, the deeper you get, the narrower you get, provide a lot more value. You have a lot, more, lot less things to focus on, which then allows you to charge a premium price as well, because you can serve those people better than anybody. So how does the small entrepreneur run their business in a way, and I'm guilty of this too, because I actually have a, a a phrase I say a lot, say yes and figure it out later, which gets me into a lot of opportunities, but it also gets me sometimes into that gray place where I'm serving people that are not the ideal client. And the example is a real estate agent that starts and said, instead of saying, I'm going to work this municipality, this area, their cousin says, hey, can you sell a house 40 miles from here? And they're like, oh yeah, I do that. And then they drive through traffic for four hours and then they sell it. And that person there goes, my neighbor has a house. Could you sell it? And then they, before they know it, they're driving all over Hell's Half Acre because they didn't decide that they were going to build a business in one spot. So it would seem to me, Paul, that the person, corporate America is very clear through trial and error, maybe, or because they have a great leader, that this is the niche they're going to serve. And they create processes and procedures around it, around it and then they stick to it. And that sometimes it's annoying because, like you said, we go, why do we do that? Well, because... Somebody figured out that if we bend the rules, we're going to be all over the place. So my question to you is how do you help the young entrepreneur who is probably saying yes to stuff they shouldn't, a little scattered, doesn't want to pay the price up front of planning and building the foundation because they want to get their, their feet wet. They want to bring money in. They're anxious to get started. How do you dial them back and get them to build that foundation? Cause I think that's the million dollar question. Yeah. So I think it's, being able to, in your mind, let people down. So we say yes to everything. Then we have to start turning, not necessarily turning new people away, which you should probably already be doing at this point, but people you're currently serving, just saying, hey, it's just not a right fit anymore. Here are some other people that might be able to help you. It's really hard to do that because we feel like we're letting people down. So I was on a call an hour ago with a client and she'd made this jump. So she was transitioning into being an entrepreneur. Now she's got a fairly successful business, but in the interim, she was consulting for somebody else and it was taking up a lot of her time. She didn't like it. And she's like, I, I, know I, I know I can't do this anymore, but I feel like I'm going to let them down. They're going to be upset. And last week she told them, I can't do this anymore. And they were like, oh my gosh, that's so good. Congratulations on the success of your business. We're happy to help you any way we can. And she's like, wow, like that wasn't really that bad because you're still serving them because if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, you're actually doing that customer a disservice or whoever this person you're dealing with, whether it's employee, customer, contractor. So having the ability to say not anymore, and that's building another muscle. I've had to do it. I brought in businesses where it's like, yeah, I can do that. And it's like, I, either I don't like it, it's not a good fit. And having to pair back to then ramp up again is a whole nother process. That's really cool. I love that a lot. So who's your ideal client? Yeah, so I, I love working with, I would say 99% of my clients are service-based businesses who serve their local community. So they could be a plumber, 
they, this, the lady that I was just talking about, she owns, uh, they do senior care. So they do like companion care for elderly. They'll go into their house and just spend time with them and do fun things with them, take them to get their meds, whatever it might be. So I really love working with those people because they have such a passion for the service that if we can just duplicate that and find those people, then they can impact so many more people. I've tried going the physical product route. I actually used to have an e-commerce store. I've tried to work with some, I just, it doesn't get me as excited as building those relationships in the service-based world. So that is my ideal client, small business owner, entrepreneur, providing a really good service. They need help on the back end so they can start to build a business that can thrive without them because most small businesses can't run for more than a week without the owner. So how can people get in touch with you, follow you, uh, access you, have a conversation about uh, what you do? Yeah, so the easiest is just go to my website. It's paulmaskill.com. If you go there, there's links to my podcast. Rock, you were actually on the podcast. So you guys can check out that interview as well. Uh, and if you just look up me on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, you'll find me uh, there, Paul Maskill, M-A-S-K-I-L-L. Uh, and there'll be all sorts of resources on my website as well. Opportunity to join most of the people I work with is through a mastermind. So I run a mastermind called the Ultimate Freedom Mastermind, where we get together every week, mastermind, put people on hot seats, hold them accountable, and get them to where they want to go. That's amazing. That's great stuff. Uh, recommend us a book that you think uh, is just good for people that maybe you're reading now or plan on reading. Yeah. So the book I'm reading now, I would recommend everybody read it. It's called The Road Less Stupid. It's basically how to avoid the stupid tax in business. Uh, every chapter is like, the book is made so you can just open it up and read from anywhere. You don't have to follow it in sequential order, but it's every chapter is like three or four pages and it gives you a bunch of stuff to think about. Uh, so obviously tons of great books. That's just the one I'm reading now that I would recommend. The Road Less Stupid. I think it's Keith Cunningham, I believe. He's a great guy. Um... How many hours a week do you work now? So I still work a lot. I would say not a lot, but my schedule now that we have a three-year-old is a little bit different. So I get up at four. I'll do about 30 to 45 minutes of kind of my personal time. And then I'll go to the gym and then I'll come home, get her daughter ready for school. My wife takes her to school. They're out of the house by about seven. And then I'll work from seven to three. And then I leave at three o'clock, go pick her up from school. We'll hang out. And then Usually I'll probably work 30 minutes in the evening, just kind of wrapping things up. So I would say on average nine to 10 hours a day, but now that we have a three-year-old, I really don't work the weekends at all. And Friday, we, our daughter doesn't go to school on Friday. So I try to be done on Friday after she wakes up from her nap. I think people would, uh, would, would, would welcome a lifestyle like that. That's pretty good. You work from home mostly, right? Yeah, I work from home unless I'm traveling to see a client or going to meet somebody. I work from home 100% of the time. And your masterminds, are they mostly via Zoom? Yeah, so we do everything Zoom virtual. We have some people locally here, Raleigh, but everything's done on Zoom, so anybody can join it uh, that has an internet connection. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they're geared mostly toward small business owners that want to scale their business. Is it that niche? Is that focused? Yeah, so it's that niche. I would say most of the, biz most of the business owners in there are They've probably hired people, but they're still kind of like I was, they're still doing too much of the back end work. Uh, I would say on average revenue between 300 to a million, 300,000 to a million dollars. Okay, cool. So this is the I am movement podcast. And I talk a lot about the words that follow. I am follow you. And we describe ourselves in a way that we want to remain consistent with how we see ourselves. So now that you're a father, what's changed in your identity? Would you say? the way you see yourself and the way you present yourself? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think it totally changes compared to where my life was, I would say, four years ago. So, you know, really my focus now and my, you know, where I am in life, I think it's more of thinking longer term. I think I was so short term focused. Hey, we got to do this. We got to do this next. Now it's like, what are we building? What kind of legacy am I leaving? What am I going to leave for her? What am I going to instill in her? Because as you said at the beginning, we are such an environment. You know, we become basically our environment. So the environment that I'm creating for her and my wife, me and my wife are creating for her is probably a lot different than I grew up in. I'm grateful for everything I went through. It wasn't hard. My family was successful. But to be able to just instill other, let her know that there's more than one path that you can go on. Let everybody know that you don't have to follow what everyone's doing. What do you like to do? And everybody in this world you know, is, is they, I mean, especially now it's such a connected world. You have access to 7 billion people, like, and you have access to all this information that used to be behind these gated universities. <laughs> yes, true. So I just uh, interviewed a gentleman named Ken Wimberly, who has a thing called the love legacy. And he created an app where you can record and document your thoughts around your children. And it might be something for you to actually check out being a young father where you can, you can dictate, you can take pictures, you can upload thoughts, you can um, maybe you read to her or something like that. She's not going to remember that moment, but maybe you take a snapshot of that and you put it into this app and it keeps a, a basically a calendar of your whole life's experience in your relationship with your children. And he's been doing it for years. And I think that children may never know what you were thinking about when they were two years old and they kept you up at night and you were working, you know, 80 hours a day and you had to get up four times in the night. So you may want to check that out. And any other listener wanting to check that out is the love legacy by Ken Wimberly on my I am movement podcast. What do you think of that concept? Yeah, I think it's great. Um, just because we get so engulfed in the day to day that we don't, we don't really appreciate what we're actually going through a lot of times. Cause like you said, like, she gets up at three in the morning because it's thundering. And at the moment, you're like, God, I just want to go to sleep for one more hour. But in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, 15 years from now, I'd be like, man, I wish she would be here to wake me up at three in the morning so we could hang yes. out some more. So trying so to that have that. Thought, <laughs> that thought, right, would be really cool for you to record. And then imagine her being able to experience that and look at that and reflect on it, what that could possibly mean. For sure. And I think somebody told me, and I think it's 100% true, building businesses and becoming a parent are probably the two biggest personal development journeys that you can go on because you can't really plan for it. You just got to do it every single day and you just got to keep improving. Yeah, you got to show up in that moment and see who you are in that moment. So I really appreciate you coming on today and I'm going to encourage people that if you have small businesses to reach out to Paul and see what he can do in order to give you an insight and help you maybe scale it and get out of the so-called, you know, job that you bought instead of a business that you want to operate so you can have the, uh, the freedom. So thanks so much for joining us. And I really uh, appreciate your insights on that. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks rock. Enjoyed it. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to be Rock's private VIP mastermind guest. 
Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.